Hey everyone, welcome to Hit the Apex Podcast, it's Jawad here as always, hope everyone's doing well, thank you very much for tuning in uh, this week where we're talking about the Canadian Grand Prix, another F1 doubleheader done and dusted, um, it's gone pretty quickly, uh, <laughs> very quickly indeed, and also some supercars coming as well later with a Darwin Triple Crown. A very eventful weekend and a bit of news to cover off there as well. Um, but Canada, how good to see F1 back in Canada um, was, you know, a pretty decent race. Probably like a 7 out of 10 race, I'd say, if we're, if we're doing some ratings. Uh, um, exciting in the fact that, you know, we had a good qualifying mixed in the wet conditions, but then in the race it was kind of like normal services resumed as far as uh, the dominance or, you know, like super, uh, you could call it dominance, I guess, dominant form that Red Bull uh, in at the moment and Max Verstappen as well, which I'll cover off, um, but it was exciting at the end of the race that a uh, late safety car actually re-energized it in the fact that it brought Carlos Sainz into the mix as well to go for his maiden F1 win, but unfortunately that did not uh, happen in the end. Max, let's talk about Max, and probably don't talk about Max, you know, with all the superlatives and adjectives as, as much as, you know, other people do. I do want to put it out there how much, you know, I admire and respect him. I think this was the first weekend after Canada where I started seeing shades of Sebastian Vettel when he was in his pomp at Red Bull. Um, And the fact that, you know, Red Bull think that this guy is going to be, you know, he's going to go beyond Vettel in terms of achievements potentially in his career and and just the form that he's in at the moment. Uh, He put in that epic lap for pole position as well ahead of Fernando Alonso, who, yeah, Fernando Alonso on the front row of the grid, first time in 10 years that had happened, and then Carlos Sainz, Lewis Hamilton there on the second row, the Haas cars as well, third row of the grid in the wet qualifying session, which we'll touch on. Um, and, you know, it's 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 just that, you know, I'm not going to come out as some bona fide uh, Max uh, fanboy or whatever, um, there's enough of them out there, you don't need another one in the world, and I'm not certainly going to become a Max fanboy, but it doesn't take away from the fact that how how good he is at the moment, the form that he's in, it's just so incredible, and it's, it's in a way, like, you can't really brush under the carpet uh, the last dominant driver that we've had over the last eight years, and that was Lewis Hamilton, um, you know, it's not saying, oh, you know, now he's gone, it's it's Max's time to be in the headlines, you know, Hamilton is still there, his achievements are still very relevant and everything, but, you know, Max is a different entity, and it's kind of, you know, the whole thing about Max when he came into F1 and all the, the prophecies, if you like, about, you know, his talent and everything... We're starting to see it, and it feels like Max has been around forever, and he's still, what, only, what, 23, 24, uh, still very young, uh, I probably got that wrong, he's probably 25, I don't know, you can correct me on that, um, but he is in that rich vein of form at the moment, and with the Red Bull being so reliable as well, and this is what I talked about last week 
uh, with in terms of Ferrari in the in the championship battle. Um, yeah, I don't think there's any weakness at the moment in in Verstappen or Red Bull's game, so it's going to be very difficult for them to be beaten this season. Mentioned Fernando Alonso. Uh, unfortunately, the race didn't turn out as well as it uh, could have been for him. But, you know, seeing him qualify on the front row of the grid in those wet conditions, we kind of got teased a lot earlier this season. And I think back to Australia, to Melbourne, where everyone thought he could have been on for pole in if he didn't crash out or whatever. Shoulda, coulda, woulda. But that didn't happen. He ended up on the front row here. It sadly didn't work out for him in the race. Um, Lewis Hamilton having a much more stronger weekend this time out. That's a whole other thing as well, which I'll discuss later on in the show. The Haas cars as well, um, putting in a great performance. Mick Schumacher getting his first top six in qualifying and his best ever qualifying in F1, sadly. Again, the race didn't turn out as they would have liked to have had with some first points coming his way. Neither of the Haases finished in the points, as a matter of fact, so that's um, pretty dismal for them. But race gets underway. We have virtual safety car out on lap 10 because uh, reliability problems hit Red Bull. As much as I was saying earlier that, you know, Red Bull look invincible at the moment. They did have a problem for Sergio Perez, Gearbox failure seemed to have caused that DNF there, and Checo had a bit of a messy weekend in general. He crashed out in Q2, didn't um, make it through to the top 10 in qualifying, and just did not seem to be as, you know, one with the car as Max was in Canada. Um, And we've seen some heroics from Checo in the past. I know I mentioned before the race that 2012, you know, the last time Alonso was on the front row, even though that was the German Grand Prix, but 2012 Canadian Grand Prix, uh, Checo qualified 15th and was able to finish on the podium. That didn't happen, I'm afraid, but um, it was quite pivotal, his retirement in the race and the fact that we got a virtual safety car early. It brought in um, some of the drivers for an early pit stop, including Max and then Hamilton as well. Um what could have been a one-stop race, and it was a one-stop race for some of the drivers. The fact that they came in that early on lap 10 meant that they would either do, you know, a really bad one-stop going back to the um, Will Joseph-Lando Norris conversation from the last race in Baku, um, or, you know, they'll have to go to a two-stop. So the fact that, you know, that happened and possibly luck into having a two-stop with another safety car later on down the track, you know, really made it a bit confusing and just, you know, exciting at the start of the race that, oh, okay, well, if they've done this, what are Ferrari going to do? Because they didn't come in at that time. Uh, We saw another virtual safety car out on lap 20, uh, which saw the rest of the field pretty much pit, except for Alonso, who stayed on the mediums for a rather long time, and then also Charles Leclerc, who had the engine penalty or power unit penalty over him now originally it was a 10 place penalty they came into the weekend they changed more components which threw him to the back of the grid so they threw him on hard tires for the race and sent him on his way see how far he could get i think their projections was for like third or something 
Um, and that second VSC was out for Mick Schumacher, unfortunately, who came to a grinding halt at the side of the track. I think everyone's hearts kind of broke at that moment because um, he was on for potentially finishing in the top 10 and getting his first points in F1. But that opportunity was lost in that moment unfortunately and then the race kind of peters on a little bit we get to lap 44 we see max come in for a second stop just prior to a safety car coming out on lap 49 because we had yuki Tsunoda come out too hot from the pit lane and crash at turn one <laughs> bit of a silly mistake he just couldn't get the car turned and it kind of just drove off or whatever we had a full safety car carlos Sainz came in switched to the medium tires he was able to benefit as well from having fresh tires and the field being compressed um you know i don't think if he had stayed in the lead or if he had not pitted and stayed in the lead and had the track position that he would have been able to hold off max in the end so you know ferrari took the gamble brought him in on for fresh tires sent him back out and what that set up was the end of the race where we had max leading science behind within drs range until lap 70 and no matter what Carlos did he could not make the move he could not get past and whether you want to sit on the side of the fence that says oh you know science is not hard enough he doesn't have the killer instinct yada yada or you could say Max just was unflappable in that situation and you could have put you know someone like Hamilton behind him and still there would be no difference in that so you know that's for you guys to decide I want to praise Sainz for the weekend he's had, you know, it's probably his best weekend so far in 2022, it's been such a difficult season for him, and the fact that, you know, he's already become, you know, the face of many memes this season, you know, that's pretty embarrassing, the fact that, you know, he's not going to be taken seriously in that respect, but for him to put in a good weekend to finish second overall, yes, it's devastating that he couldn't go through and pull through for the win, but, um, this seemed to have given him give uh, this weekend seemed to have given him enough confidence to say hey look you know even though my teammates not up here i could probably uh fight with the likes of the red bulls in the future so we'll see where that happens uh fastest lap as well for Carlos, the fact that, you know, he got that extra point too helps in that respect, taking him away from Red Bull and helping Ferrari in the Constructors' Championship in uh, whichever way they can. <sighs> Apologies for that. Didn't didn't have my afternoon nap today, so feeling a bit, feeling a bit tired. <laughs> um, Max, so we also had Hamilton on the podium as well. First time he's been on the podium since the start of the season in Bahrain, so Hamilton pretty much mirrored the strategy that Max was on, and was just, just had the pace to stay up there, and, you know, his teammate George Russell was behind on a different strategy, and um, a big improvement for Mercedes from Friday in particular, because Friday, both drivers, or Hamilton in particular, came out and said, oh, the car's undrivable, this is, this is terrible, and this is coming off the back of Baku and all the nonsense there about the bouncing issues and the fact that, you know, the FIA have to step in and do something about it. Now, like I said last time, it was announced that the FIA were going to intervene on safety grounds and whatnot, and what they implemented was the fact that 
they would have power to tell teams to change their setups if they find that the cars are bouncing too much. So this is probably not the news Mercedes would have wanted specifically, but it also didn't hamper like teams that have done it right because that's still the way I believe on it without having any bias towards particular teams is that we've got teams who suffer from the porpoising or the bouncing phenomenon. Um, then we've got teams who don't suffer from it as much. Why should we change regulations mid-season um, to suit the teams that suffer from it more kind of thing? You know, it's it's so silly. And the fact then Mercedes as well, which, you know, with a bit of deep diving or whatever, I realized as well they came prepared for this change that they implemented about having a second like rod or something or stay, I think it's called. Um, on the floor attached to the the side pods, um, which, you know, all the other teams said, well, we would not have been able to be prepared to bring that, you know, given the timeline between the FIA announcing this new directive and first practice in Montreal. Um, Granted that Mercedes didn't run it all weekend, they had it in the first couple of practice sessions and then ditched it for the rest of the race, but it kind of raised a few eyebrows about you know maybe they had some insider knowledge that this was going to happen and whatnot and then there was this whole meeting and argument that happened as well in the weekend between uh, Toto Wolf, Christian Horner, Mattia Bonotto Um, there was Netflix cameras there as well so you know nothing good is meant to come of it but there was some heated uh, exchanges from Wolf and, and Horner and stuff so I think Maybe they're just trying to drum up something for for the television audience or for the Netflix viewers. But seriously, the way I see it at the end of the day is that, again, if they're going to make changes, do it for the next season or whatever and don't do it to disadvantage the teams that have got it right. You know, even Verstappen came out and said that, you know, I think it's kind of stupid that, you know, it's up to the other teams to fix the situation rather than, you know, disadvantage the ones who've done done their good job. Like, had, um, you know, Mercedes, for example, you know, had got it right. I'm not saying that, you know, it's, it's all to do with Mercedes, but let's go back to 2014 and the fact that, you know, the hybrid power units and everything, Mercedes were the one team that seemed to have you know, struck gold with it and everyone else did, like, you know, would everyone else have complained to try and let them catch up? They did, but, you know, did the FIA change anything? No. So, in this instance as well, it's kind of like, well, you can, you can bark as loud as you want, but, you know, nothing should come of it kind of thing. If it did, then it would be quite disappointing because, you know, it shouldn't be pandering just to what Mercedes want, for example. So, no disrespect to Mercedes. I have a lot of respect and admiration for Mercedes, so, you know, you can't be accused of, you know, you just hate Lewis, and you hate Mercedes, and, you know, uh, grow up, people, grow up, um, yeah, so, they seemed a lot more competitive, is the, uh, answer to the question, oh, I don't even know what question it was anymore, (laughs) um, Mercedes were just more competitive, and they looked to be building, on platform, you know, with what they found in uh, Baku as well, Uh, well, after Baku, I should say, next up for them, Silverstone, you know, important race for Lewis Hamilton, important race for Russell as well, being in a competitive car, so, you know, 
hope hopefully they'll they'll do well if not then yeah you know that's gonna cause all sorts of backlash in that instance but um it was good to see them uh somewhat better and also for Hamilton to be in a bit more of a better mood as well so you know he his experience around this track he loves Montreal of course that would have counted for a bit as well for his third place which was well deserved in the end um behind those guys we had Charles Leclerc finishing fifth from last so he executed a perfect one-stop strategy he got stuck behind Esteban Ocon and some other drivers at times um and it looked very difficult for him to overtake and that could could have been a car specific thing or whatever but um yeah you know like the fact that you know science couldn't get past uh Verstappen at the end on pressure tires and Ocon uh, sorry um Leclerc not being able to do it either could mean it's a car thing uh but it was a good race for him to cement some points it's it's still not looking good for them championship wise you know constructors championship terms Ferrari are that far behind Red Bull that it's it's looking pretty dire but also you know when you look at where Leclerc is to Verstappen in the drivers championship as well it's looking pretty diabolical um just trying to do the calculations here I thought I would have done it uh before but yeah 49 points you know is the difference between those two at the moment and when you consider the gap that Leclerc had after Australia 46 points that's a 96 or 90 something point you know maths is not my strong suit uh 90 something point swing you know in the space of a few races it's incredible to see that pendulum just go the other way completely but um yeah you know i think ferrari will be buoyed by that um and hopefully they can get their reliability together to try and get some points back otherwise you know fifth was all he could manage in that in that uh race Ocon moving up to sixth from his seventh place qualifying so he was the best placed Alpine at the end of the day because Fernando Alonso ended the race with a time penalty um five second time penalty for weaving I think ahead of the at the end of the race ahead of Valtteri Bottas so the stewards didn't really take kindly to that he dropped two places to ninth and he also had an engine problem as well which um meant that he had to finish he was going to be finishing behind Ocon anyway but now got demoted to ninth great race for the Alfa Romeos to seventh and eighth uh with Valtteri Bottas ahead of Guan Yu Zhou and good on Guan Yu Zhou because you know as hard as people can be on you know oh as harsh as critics can be you know I feel like there's no real virtue or like purpose behind criticizing this guy you know yes Oscar Piastri would have been great to to throw in F1 this year instead of uh the guy who finished runner-up to him or whatever and hasn't really achieved a lot in F2 but he's doing his best in in this first season he's had a lot of reliability problems and a lot of bad luck he put in a great performance in the wet to get the car into Q3 first of all, and then to be able to hang on and score points as well. That was great. So I think he'll be buoyed by that too. Um, Bottas nailed the one stop as well to get himself up into seventh, as did you know Lance Stroll as well to, on home soil to get into P10, and that was kind of heartbreaking because. Um, he kind of passed Daniel Ricciardo at the end and, you know, relegated Ricciardo to 11th. So a bit of a tough weekend for McLaren all round, uh, you know, with Lando Norris having 
suffered due to that stack in the pit lane. Um, the team didn't have tyres ready, so he pretty much fell down the order into 15th, and then Ricardo finishing in 11th, not getting any points either, which was rather sad. Had Sebastian Vettel in 12th too for Aston Martin, so at least they'll be happy to get that single point. And they actually jumped ahead of Haas as well in the Constructors' Championship, so not um, second last anymore of those guys. Magnussen, um, so mentioned Mick, obviously, with the reliability problem, but Magnussen, unfortunately, got front wing damage on the first lap, uh, probably coming together with his old mate Lewis Hamilton again, so he had to pit early, get a new front wing, and pretty much lost out, and like dropped to the back of the grid as well, so he was, I think, last of the classified runners down in 16th, um, behind Nicholas Latifi too, who... Has he raced his last race in F1? Who knows? Um, bit of news around Oscar Piastri anyway uh, from from Alpine. So uh, team boss Otmar Zafnau saying that um, it is certain that we'll see Piastri on the grid in 2023. Um, that, you know, doesn't necessarily say he'll be in an Alpine given the fact that you know we expect Alonso to stick around and Ocon's got his deal but are they going to loan him out to Williams you know for example as has been as as has been touted so and could it possibly be as soon as the next race maybe in Silverstone as has been discussed also well that kind of contradicts contradicts the fact that um, there was news that Piastri will make his F1 uh, FP1 debut at the French Grand Prix, which comes after Silverstone on this occasion. So that only came out yesterday. So unless that is all just you know smoke and mirrors and you know trying to distract everyone from what's actually going on, who knows? We'll find out when we get to Silverstone next week. But for now. You know, it's safe to say that we won't see Latifi on the grid next year and that we'll have uh, the young Aussie there. Also, we had uh, Franz Toast. Uh, Franz Tost. Sorry, I don't know. <laughs> well, I think, I, oh yeah, on my notes I've written Toast by accident. or oh, that was the autocorrect. <laughs> Sorry about that. Uh, Franz Tost, you know, 100% as well on Pierre Gasly staying put at AlphaTauri next season. Now, this wasn't backed up by any official press release or, you know, confirmation from Gasly that he's going to be there next year. If it's the case, then that's very that's very sad, you know, um, for him to see out another season there at the, not the, well, the Red Bull sister team, let's call it. It's not really a junior team anymore. Um... It's not like they have many drivers that they're going to be rushing in to replace him anyway, given what's happened with uh, uh, young Yuri Vips this week. I don't need to go into uh, talking about that. It's a bit of a bonehead kind of move on his part, but, you know, that's that's kids these days. Um, you know, especially in that position where, you know, you, you, you're expected to be on your best behaviour. So, you know, it's it's not that hard not to, it's not that hard to, to just stay clean or whatever. Anyway, so there's not much going on in the Red Bull talent pool at the moment, so maybe for the team it is good that they hang on to uh, Gasly, but at the same time as Gasly, you want to spread your wings, you want to go beyond the, the Red Bull family, you want to go to another team, try and, you know, make a name for yourself there, so who knows if that's going to happen, but 
He's not been officially confirmed, so we don't know yet. Um, that could change when the silly season ramps up, as it will do kind of this time of the year in the next month or so. So it will be interesting. Other than that, there's not really much to Canada, apart from, you know, the, the bouncing and the porpoising problems was a big talking point. I pretty much summed it up and said, look, you know, they it's pretty silly that, you know, <laughs> if they change anything now, you know, or mid-season, uh, because of one team's uh, demands or whatever, or uh, requests, as I should say. Um, and yeah, looking forward to Silverstone in a couple of weeks' time. All right, let's do supercars now then, Darwin Triple Crown. Uh, so, I just get so envious watching Darwin usually, because supercars always talk about it being, you know, their escape from the winter down south, where, where I happen to be. Um, up to the north, uh, Northern Territory, you know, north of Australia, it's, you know, tropical, it's beautiful, there's just more sunshine, I feel like I'm going real pale, you know, <laughs> uh, just sitting here in the cold or whatever at the moment, but, um, no, get good to see them back at Hidden Valley Raceway, it's one of those tracks that, uh, we've had plenty of racing at over the past few years, especially with COVID seeing the championship not be able to go to its all its usual venues i'm pretty sure they did a double header there last year too or maybe it was the year before i'm not too sure um exciting as always i was happy last week as i discussed about it being the official indigenous round as well so it was good to see those liveries out and track and the way that um the championship itself and the category had engaged as well throughout the weekend and everything, so yeah, that was really good, had some good racing too, uh, my favourite moment, I guess, you know, race 18, the safety car setting up a very, very close finish at the end, um, so coming into that, of course, we had Chas Mostert starting from 5th, I believe, in that race, 6th uh, it was, and stopping early on, in the race on lap nine for two tires so of course in supercars you can change as many tires as you want as long as it's minimum two tires so you could change three tires as we saw Shane Van Gisbergen do and then of course four tire stops for um, both the Shell V-Power racing cars uh, much later on mind you we had an incident between Gary Jacobson and the rookie Zach Best who was a wild card for Tickford this weekend and um it was a bit of a stupid incident, honestly. And then, of course, the news coming out um, a couple of days ago about Gary Jacobson losing his seat there at Premier Racing ahead of Townsville. It kind of sums up, you know, the the move that he made over the weekend. And he was involved in quite a few incidents with Jacobson. So, in, in the end, it's kind of good riddance to that, unfortunately. But, yeah, Best got sent off into the valley. Oh, that's the part of the track they call the valley. <laughs> he didn't get sent to the nether regions or whatever of the universe. Um, but they had to pull out a safety car, um, compress the field. It was in on lap 30. And then from there... He had Mostert, who had track position. He had three cars behind him on fresher tyres. 
Di Pasquale, Anton Di Pasquale hunting a second win of the weekend potentially. Will Davison, who had celebrated his 500th race as well um, earlier in the weekend. And then, of course, Shane Van Gisbergen, who just wins everything. <laughs> um, but Chaz did a great job. This is why he's a two time Bathurst champion and multiple race winner. Uh, he did an amazing job to stay ahead, and the fact that, you know, the commentators even, when the safety car came out, said that, oh, you know, this is this has ruined uh, Mostert's race, he's not going to survive this, it actually, I was thinking the opposite, because I'm like, well, actually, laps behind the safety car is probably going to, you know, put less pressure on his tyres, even though everything's going to cool off and, and all that, it's actually going to help him preserve a bit of life in those tyres, and then he can go out, all out defence at the end of the race, and I thought, as long as he goes out with a fight, you know, if he doesn't win, he doesn't win. But he was able to fight at the end. But he was able to hold on! And that was so good. So, Mostert finishing ahead of Di Pasquale. There was a bit of criticism for Di Pasquale in some corners, uh, um, in certain corners of the internet. Uh, that, you know, he, again, like signs, you know, couldn't couldn't get the done. He couldn't get the job done. He doesn't have the killer instinct, yada, yada. There's, there's just, you know, there's no base to that. Like, just just get over yourselves, guys. It was a great job for Moster to be able to do that. It was still a great weekend for Anton anyway, because he won the round. He won the Triple Crown um, with the win that he had in race 16. His first win of the season too, mind you. He hasn't won a race in 2022 until the first race of the weekend. He was fourth in race 17, just missing out on the podium behind Van Gisberg, and then, of course, finishing behind Chaz there in the final race of the weekend. Um, but yeah, I just can't get over that finish. I think I've watched the replay of that race a couple of times this week and just really enjoyed it. And then behind those two, you had Cameron Waters um, rounding out the top three. You had also on the restart of uh, that race on lap 30, Shane and Davison coming to blows as well. So um, we had Waters pretty much inherit that podium place because... Van Giesbergen just pretty much escorted Davison off or whatever, and then ended up having some power steering damage, within, which then saw him drop through the field and pretty much finished last, and then he copped a penalty as well. So he was still classified and scored points. It probably made more of a mess of Davison's race than, than Shane's, given the fact that, you know, Van Giesbergen is quite a while ahead in the championship, but that gap has come down between uh, he and Deeper Squally. But, um, yeah, you know, very strange to have a weekend this season that Van Giesbergen hasn't won. So, yeah, this was his first winless weekend of the season, so there's not much more to say to that. He had an off weekend, but, you know, what do you say? He's It's still Van Giesbergen. You still expect him to bounce back stronger in Townsville, and Townsville is a circuit that Triple Eight and, and Gizzy do quite well at anyway. The gap between him and Di Pasquale is 214 points, uh, but, you know, it's still quite a while away, you know, for that gap to be cut down. When you look down to the rest of the field, you know, Waters is 288 behind, 294 to uh, Davison, which is almost a round's worth of points, and then you've got David Reynolds and, and Chaz Mostert there, 5th and 6th for 470 and 474 points behind, so it's looking very difficult for those guys, and for Mostert, like, the win on Sunday too kind of felt like redemption for what had happened earlier in the weekend, 
He copped not one, but a pair of disqualifications. First in FP2 for a tyre pressure breach. And of course, uh, this was the first weekend that we had the new rules around tire, minimum tyre pressures in, in supercars. And then also the banning of leaving tyres out in the pit lane in the sun to bake as it was to, you know, kind of rate because they don't have tyre blankets like they do in F1 in, in supercars. So any way that they can get temperature into those tyres, they will do so. Um, but that was clamped down upon this weekend. So he got disqualified for that first. And then second of all, getting disqualified for having um, an air fan or an air blower in the front wing of his car before the start of race 16, which was the first race of the weekend. Now, that was found to have been in breach of uh, Directive 8.1.8, which, you know, you're not allowed to have any kind of cooling devices on the grid with a car um, beyond a certain time or whatever it is. Uh, And, you know, it's it's all very fair, I guess, in the sense that it's a cost-cutting measure and... The rules are quite black and white around it. There's no interpretation. So, you know, Paul Walkinshaw and Reading United, they had to deal with uh, issue potentially that Mostert had found on the car before the race. Um, and they basically didn't think they would get caught with this. But, you know, eagle eyes are everywhere. <laughs> the big brother eyes are watching. Um, in this case, I think it was Adrian Burgess, who uh, the head of motorsport, who caught them out in that respect. Um, they got disqualified, he lost fourth place, uh, Walkinshaw then moved to appeal that decision, but only to have their appeal thrown out too, because apparently it wasn't presented to Motorsport Australia quick enough, or like within the window that you can, um, present an appeal, so at the end of the day, like, they broke, like, you know, they were found guilty of breaking the rules, yada, yada, yada. But I think what shocked most was the severity of the penalty. You know, like, I'm happy in this instance we've got black and white rules around this and there's no interpretations and that the fact that, you know, if someone else does it differently next time that they'll uh, get let go or, like, there's a less harsh penalty. But, you know, the fact that they got disqualified from that was a bit like, whoa, you know, I mean, did it give them an advantage? Did they win the race? No, you know, like, that's the thing that I would look at and be like, well, it didn't mean that they finished 30 seconds ahead of the pack, you know, and everything like that. So that was a bit, you know, when when you look at that, I thought that was very severe in that respect, but more so for Mostert's championship because it cost him 80 points as well for losing that P4. And then when you look at the weekend that they had there in... um in Perth as well, it it was a bit shocking, so that's kind of sums up where he's at in the championship at the moment, um, and why he's that far behind, but um, a return to form for him on Sunday, winning race 18, so that was that, most of the on-track stuff, as I said, you know, the, the move from Jacobson, which... <laughs> you could argue, or has pretty much cost him his drive there in, in supercars and in premier racing. Uh, no news yet on who will replace him from Townsville. There's been talk potentially of Zane Goddard, of course, who was on the bench this season and has a drive for Tickford in the uh, Enduro Cup. You know, I don't think someone like Fabian Coulthard, who was driving for that team under the previous ownership of the Techno last season, will want to give up his plum Enduro drive uh, with with. Mostert and Walkinshaw and Dreddy United for returning to the back of the grid. So we'll see who will pick up that seat uh, in the coming 
days i don't think it'll be days but coming weeks i should say because townsville will not be for some time yet it'll be in the middle of july um and yeah we had confirmation too over the weekend that uh Pukukoi and sandown will be going ahead so there was a bit of speculation coming into the weekend about whether supercars might have to can you know one maybe two of those rounds um and you know that would then throw into question the you know the minimum rounds that they've got to have in the championship to make up the the broadcast arrangement which is 12 rounds but they've done another back-to-back at sydney motorsport park i i certainly hope not um but that's not going to happen because those two rounds have been confirmed um the problem around uh pukukoi and going to new zealand was the uh, monumental freight costs apparently that's um been causing an issue for supercars but of course they've uh, managed to work around that with some local partners and then also making it a three-day event as well i think you know to get as many uh people to the races as possible and you know listening to nick Perkat separately talk about you know his frustration with people who were against the Adelaide 500 and all that and you know whinging and whining about uh, why it's not good for them Perkat made a good point in that motorsport globally at the moment is doing so well you know whether you look at attendance in F1 IndyCar you know WEC it's 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 great you know and the fact that you know most nations and most cities and most populations are coming out of you know severe covid restrictions and you know they're craving entertainment they're craving live things you know music sport whatever um so yeah like the fact that supercars have not gone to new zealand for two years should make this one of the most anticipated events to happen there one of the most anticipated uh, Auckland Super Sprints or Pukekohe Super Sprints that we're going to have um, in years. So, you know, the fact that you got Van Gisbergen in such good form, even though they've lost McLaughlin, Scotty McLaughlin in that time as well. Uh, yeah, the fact that Van Gisbergen's doing well is going to still put bums on seats. So it's going to more than justify them going over there. Sandown 2 is good. You know, it's, it's you know, with... A heavy heart that, you know, I talk about Sandown, given the fact that, you know, the future of that race is, you know, not looking very well. Um, and, you know, in a couple of years' time, it will be torn down, or if not sooner, be torn down and built into, like, a housing estate, you know, like Oran Park is at the moment. So, you know, let's get as much Sandown action in as we can uh, before it uh, it's all housing or whatever. So that will be good to see that. And also the best news is that Adelaide 500 is definitely on as well. That came out today um, in relation to the Nick Perkout story as well. Him talking about, you know, they need to embrace or Adelaide people need to embrace the race a bit more because it is quite important for local business and everything. Um, so the news that it is going ahead this year, of course, originally in my notes, I had it down as, you know, there's still, you know, potential that it might not happen. And that's why supercars moved to confirm, uh, going to Sandown and Pukekohe to cover those minimum 12 rounds so that we still have a legitimate championship, but we're going to finish off in Adelaide. 
it's locked in until 2026 as well as the season finale. So there's going to be that whole vibe about, you know, Adelaide like it was in Formula One for so many years as the season finale. That'll be great. And yeah, hopefully tickets will go on soon so I can snatch them up and I'll be there this year. We'll be there in Adelaide, so looking forward to it. Um, it still leaves a few question marks around Newcastle as well. It's still listed as TBA, uh, but I just have a feeling it's not going to go ahead this year. I mean, where are you going to fit it in? There's obviously a gap between you know the final scheduled round at the Gold Coast um, and then the proposed Adelaide round. You know, in the in the first week of December, and I feel like it's you know too much going in and having another street race in between when you look at the when you look at costs being the reasons around not wanting to go to New Zealand originally so it's best to keep Newcastle in the bank until 2023 as much as it'd be good to see a circuit that we haven't seen for a couple of years um, back there but um, given the fact that it's going to be the opening round of the 23 championship I think you know I can wait another couple of months until uh, end of Feb or March for that to come in so yeah that pretty much sums up that one anyway. Thank you very much again. Be sure to stay tuned on socials for everything to do with this podcast. Of course, at Hit the Apex Media on Twitter. And there's also a link, a link tree associated with all my other work out there. Um, glad to have a break this weekend from racing. I think my sleep patterns need to recover a little bit. It's been quite hectic over the past few weeks. And I think that's what double headers are doing to me now is that um with with the odd time zones and whatnot is i just feel very frazzled so i think you know having some very proper sleep this weekend is going to get me back in order and then also um i will not be doing a show next week of course ahead of the british grand prix but you will catch uh me after the british grand prix and a special guest as well which i've got lined up too so we'll talk all things British Grand Prix after that and look ahead to Austria. But in the meantime, thank you so much for joining me today, guys. Have a good weekend. Enjoy whatever you're doing, wherever you are in the world. And um, we'll see you in a couple of weeks.